Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, January 13th. I'm Leslie Palma. And I'm Teresa Watson. In our top story tonight, we'll give you the rundown of events at the first post-Roe March for Life in D.C. We will continue our discussion from last week about the FDA allowing pharmacies to sell dangerous abortion drugs. And our guest, Teresa Bakovanak, will tell you how you can fight back. Priest for Life Executive Director Janet Marana will be with us to talk about the pro-life bills passed by the House. She was in the chamber to witness democracy in action. There's a lot of abortion in the news this week, and I'll try to report it all. Leslie and I will be talking with Minnesota pro-life activist Brian Gibson about how his ministry will be impacted now that pro-abortion Democrats have full control of the legislature. Be sure to stay tuned to the end when we share with you how an Ocala baby box saved a life. In just a few days, more than a dozen of us from Priests for Life, from here at headquarters and off location, will head to Washington, D.C. for the first post-Row March for Life. We can't wait. This year, 2023, could have been the marking of the 50th anniversary of the legalization of abortion throughout the U.S. But instead, we are celebrating the end of that devastating ruling and the new era that gives individual states the power to save babies within their borders. Some things at the march will be different, including the route itself. Instead of ending at the U.S. Supreme Court, the march on Friday will pass the courthouse and the U.S. Capitol and end between the two buildings. March organizers say they want pro-abortion members of the House and Senate to understand that the overturning of Roe v. Wade last June was not the end of our fight for life. As they have done every year since 2004, women and men of the Silent No More Awareness campaign will give their abortion testimonies in front of the Supreme Court building. Also, as in past years, Priests for Life will organize a peaceful and prayerful protest in front of Planned Parenthood in D.C. on Thursday morning, the day before the march. Priests for Life and the National Pro-Life Religious Council also will co-host the 28th Annual National Prayer Service on Friday, the morning of the march. The interdenominational service at the gorgeous Constitution Hall will pay tribute this year to the pioneers of the pregnancy help movement. Our national director, pro-life leader Frank Pavone, will give the keynote address. Christian recording artist Mike Donahue will return after bringing the house down last year. A Catholic Mass will start the day. Priests for Life also will have our new and improved booth at the March for Life Expo in the Renaissance Hotel. And on Saturday, the day after the march, we will have a presence at the Students for Life Conference at the Omni Shoreham Hotel and the Cardinal J. O'Connor Conference at Georgetown University. And on the opposite coast, Frank Pavone and Brian Kemper, coordinator of street activism and youth outreach director, will take part in the Walk for Life Coast, West Coast in San Francisco. Finally, on Sunday, the 50th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, Priests for Life and Silent No More will join with the Purple Sash Revolution and Christian Defense Coalition outside the Supreme Court for a prayer service to mourn the 65 million children killed by legal abortion in our nation. For the full schedule, including times and addresses, go to priestsforlife.org slash marshforlife. And please make plans to join us in D.C. and San Francisco. The Republican-led U.S. House of Representatives on Wednesday passed the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, calling for life-saving care for newborns who survive abortion. The vote was 220 to 210, with only one Democrat, Texas Representative Henry Cuellar, voting in favor. 
The House also passed a resolution condemning more than 200 violent and destructive attacks on pregnancy resource centers, churches, and pro-life organizations that have taken place since May. Three Democrats, all women, crossed the aisle to vote with Republicans, Mary Gonzalez of Texas, Christina Perez of Washington, and Chrissy Houlihan of Pennsylvania. Also this week, Republican Representative Mike Kelly of Pennsylvania reintroduced his bill to ban abortions when a fetal heartbeat is detected. Our founders understood that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are our most fundamental rights, said Kelly. First among these is life. Priest for Life Executive Director Janet Marana was in the House chamber for the pro-life votes on Wednesday, and she's joining us to talk about the experience. Well, hello, and you know, I had such a privilege uh, to be on, in the House, in the gallery, to watch the debate between the Democrats and the Republicans before the vote of this new Born Alive bill. And I have to tell you, boy, oh boy, there's not an abortion these Democrats don't love. But the, here's the point. Some of them were saying, oh, why are we doing this again? We signed a Born Alive bill in 2002. You know, come on, Republicans, you're wasting our time. No, they're not wasting our time, because guess what? That bill from 2002 didn't have teeth in it. There was no enforcement. This bill does. This bill says, if that baby's born alive and takes a breath, you've got to rush it for emergency medical care. That's the difference. Oh, and you had to hear the Democrats. Oh my goodness. They were complaining that this is somehow affecting women's reproductive rights. Let me tell you, this, these are babies who are in the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth month of pregnancy that they do not want protected in case the abortionist messes up and lets that baby be born alive. Because you know what's been happening? When they are born alive right now, they kill them or they leave them to flounder and, and basically take some breaths and then they die because they're not getting medical attention. If that isn't cruel, that's infanticide. So basically the Democrats were promoting infanticide and the Republicans were standing up for the unborn children. It was such an interesting debate, debate to watch, brothers and sisters, but I want to give a challenge to you now. The Republicans voted 100% in favor of this new bill. I want you to go to our Priest for Life website, priestforlife.org, right on the home page is our action alert. I want you to call your representatives and thank them, the Republicans, for passing this bill to protect babies born alive. Now, some of you might have a Democratic uh, congressman that voted against the bill. Guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna call them and say to them, I am very disappointed that you did not vote to protect babies born alive, and therefore, guess what? I'm not going to vote for you when you're up for election because in two years, they'll be up for election. We have got to let our voices be heard. So remember, let's cheer the Republicans on for giving us this great pro-life victory. And let's get after those Democrats who there's not an abortion they don't love. They want to kill babies even till birth. Thanks for uh, tuning in. And of course, let's just get going. And remember, brothers and sisters, this is up to you. There are some abortions only you can stop and some lives you can only save. So stay tuned. Last week, we discussed with our guest, Dr. Matt Harrison, the increased dangers to women now that the FDA will allow pharmacies to sell the dangerous abortion drug. We have with us here tonight, Teresa Bakovinak, the founder and executive director of Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising to discuss how the pro-life community is fighting back. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, Teresa, Powell is in the process of organizing a campaign against CVS and Walgreens. Could you share with us exactly what you're planning? Yes, absolutely. The Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising has created a nationwide campaign to target CVS and Walgreens in particular uh, and to 
divest from big abortion, which is one of POW's taglines. Um, but in this case, we are going to try to take financial gain away from these institutions, these corporations, in order to compel them to not follow through with the certification to sell abortion drugs at their facilities. We've created a landing page, a website, where any pro-life organization and any pro-life group can go to, to sign up to organize a protest at your local CVS or Walgreens. And we've created a series of graphics and flyers that can be used as well that are totally unbranded and uh, free for anyone to use. We're also offering free banners and megaphones to anyone who is willing to host one of these protests. Well, there's some concern among pro-lifers that having these protests in areas that are predominantly pro-abortion will bring attention to the pharmacies and actually increase their business. Do you have any thoughts about this? Well, I formerly founded Pro-Life San Francisco, and a lot of people said the same thing then, that it's just going to mobilize the other side. But I think it's critical that we understand that the purpose of direct action is to bring the tensions to the surface that already exist in these communities. So even pro-abortion communities must know that there are people resisting their efforts in these communities and the companies, CVS and Walgreens in particular, must know that there are people from across the political spectrum who are fighting this decision in all parts of America. And ultimately, even if there are counter demonstrations, for example, that's going to draw the attention of the press. And what we need to do is keep this story in the news. We need to keep people across the political spectrum aware of what's going on. And so we're very much encouraging people, even in pro-abortion areas, to continue with the protest. Perhaps that one particular CVS may have some increased revenue, but we think that the impact that it will have uh, across the country uh, will balance that out. Well, Teresa, what about people that are not comfortable with protesting and they wanna help? What, what can they actually do? Well, that's totally understandable. Some people are just not interested in protesting or feel uncomfortable for whatever reason. And so we're recommending that you write a letter to CVS, to Walgreens, to your local store, to the the um, company headquarters, and organize other people to do the same. Make calls. Call your your um, House representative and your senators. Call everyone that you know and let them know that this issue is not settled. I, on my way to work, I pass multiple Walgreens and CVSs. How can I find out if, and how can people find out if their pharmacies will be selling the drugs? That's a great question. I think right now, CVS and Walgreens are the first to announce that they're going to seek certification, but that certification is going to take some time. And we know that certain factors may cause them to cross a certain location off of their list. So the more that we're actively protesting, the more that we are taking action by making calls and writing letters, the less likely each individual retail store is to become an abortion provider. Uh, right now, there isn't a quick, easy way to find out, but I, I think it's safe to say at this point, there aren't any retailers offering the abortion pill at a pharmacy. However, any pharmacy, not just CBS and Walgreens, but every pharmacy is susceptible to pursuing the certification process. So we need to assume that any pharmacy can become an abortion provider. Okay, well, where can our viewers go to get information on protests that are already planned or as you had mentioned, if they wanna plan one of their own? 
please go to stopabortionrx.com. All of the information is there. We have a series of facts, frequently asked questions, and all of the, the banner materials, the posters, the literature is all free to download and print there. And you can also see where other protests are being held near you or in other places where you know other pro-life people who might want to get involved in this effort. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We always love to hear from you, Teresa. Love to see you guys too. Thank you. Lawmakers in Clovis, New Mexico, last week passed an ordinance designed to keep abortion businesses out of the city of 38,000 people. Clovis has not been designated a sanctuary city for the unborn, but instead the city will require abortion providers to follow a decades-old federal law that's still on the books, prohibiting abortion supplies from being sent through the mail. But according to Mark Lee Dixon, founder of the Sanctuary City Movement, the action by the city commissioners makes Clovis the 63rd city in the nation and the second city in New Mexico to pass an enforceable ordinance that will prohibit abortion within the city limits. Abortion-friendly Illinois is working to further expand abortion access in the state. Under legislation passed in the Illinois House last week, insurance plans regulated by the state would be required to cover the cost of abortion pills that kill babies up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. There would be no cost to the mother. The bill would apply to thousands of individuals who buy their own health insurance or who are public employees in the state. Republicans who opposed the measure said it would require insurance companies to pay for abortion drugs even if there is no proof of pregnancy, meaning women could hold on to the shelf-stable pills until a need arises. A former member of the band Pussycat Dolls has gone public with her abortion regret. Former singer Kaya Jones said on a Students for Life podcast that she had three abortions over the course of a decade, the first when she was 16 before she joined the band. After the first one, you don't think you've done anything wrong, Jones said. Once you've crossed that line, it's a very slippery slope to continue to cross those lines. I didn't speak to my family about it. I didn't speak to anyone about it. I went and got it done, and I didn't need anyone's consent. The second abortion happened when she was with the band and was told to get rid of it. She got pregnant a third time after being raped by an acquaintance and aborted that child as well. In the podcast, she cautioned other women not to follow in her footsteps. When you have one, you think you can keep having them. You don't think it's a big deal, but you will regret it your whole life. Even if I become a mother tomorrow and I'm happily married and all is well, I'm still going to regret the three children I did not have. The Idaho Supreme Court last week upheld the state's ban on abortion, holding that, quote, we cannot read a fundamental right to abortion into the text of the Idaho Constitution. The decision means the state's three abortion bans, including one that outlaws the procedure from conception, can remain in effect. This week, a new bill was introduced that would make it a felony for any public official to contract with abortion providers, even for services not related to abortions. The bill also calls for local governments that refuse to comply with Idaho's criminal abortion laws to be cut off from their share of the state's sales tax revenue. New Jersey's pro-abortion governor, Democrat Phil Murphy, will give $15 million in zero-interest loans to abortion providers to expand their killing centers. The loans can be up to $750,000, and the state has the discretion to decide not to require repayment. Thirteen Planned Parenthood facilities are among the abortion businesses already approved for loans. Pro-Life Primetime News reached out to New Jersey Right to Life for a comment. Here's Marie Tazy, executive director. Governor Murphy has an indecent obsession with abortion. He has employed a shameful underhanded tactics and backroom deals to make New Jersey one of the most radically extreme states that embraces abortions up to the moment of birth. Since he was elected, he has awarded Planned Parenthood, his biggest political supporter, with $114 million in taxpayer funds. 
This includes $55 million in the fiscal year 2023 budget, a portion of which will pay to upgrade the abortion businesses' facilities. We are looking forward to helping elect more pro-life legislators in the upcoming November election to reverse the draconian policies of Governor Murphy and legislative leaders of his party that have polluted our state. Republican state legislators in Virginia this week introduced a bill to protect babies from abortion at 15 weeks and beyond. But the bill backed by Governor Glenn Youngkin and introduced by Delegate Kathy Byron and Senator Steve Newman is not likely to pass after a pro-abortion Democrat won a special election in the state on Tuesday. The election of former NFL player Aaron Rouse by the slimmest of margins gives Democrats a 22 to 18 majority in the state Senate, where Rouse is expected to vote against the 15-week bill. Abortion is currently legal until it's 26 weeks. And that's abortion in the news. Three Cherokee tribes are pushing aggressively for the U.S. government to make good on a nearly 200-year-old promise to award them a sitting delegate in the House of Representatives. The three tribes, the Cherokee Nation, the United Kitawa Band of Cherokee Indians, and the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, have said the issue is a legislative priority for 2023. In a statement, Julie Hubbard, a Cherokee Nation spokesperson, said, quote, This is not a partisan issue. We have good relationships on both sides of the aisle and are encouraged by our ongoing conversations with members. The right to a House delegate comes from a treaty signed in December 1836 between the federal government and Cherokee members that led to the brutally forced removal of the tribe from its ancestral home to land in what is now Oklahoma. That route became known as the Trail of Tears. Political junkies don't have to wait until 2024 to see interesting statewide races. 2023 features three intriguing off-year gubernatorial elections. According to Cook Political, coming off a strong 2022 cycle in which they added one net governor to their ranks, Democrats are on defense in two red states they currently hold. In Kentucky, Governor Andy Bashir is running for re-election and starts in a strong position against a crowded field of GOP hopefuls. However, the open seat in Louisiana will be very tough for Democrats to defend, with conservative Governor John Bell Edwards' term limited. There's a thin bench in the state, and Republicans are in the prime position to flip this seat. Mississippi is the least interesting of the trio of contests, at least so far. Republican Governor Tate Reeves is likely to face several primary challengers, but the state should easily remain in GOP hands, especially with Democrats focused elsewhere in 2023. San Antonio voters will likely have a say in deciding whether the city should decriminalize abortion and low-level marijuana possession and make other police reforms permanent. Organizers with the nonprofit Act for SA and other groups gathered more than 37,000 signatures in support of placing a city charter amendment on the May 6th ballot. Amanda Thomas, executive director of Act for SA, told Axios, they need 20,000 verified signatures to get on the ballot. Organizers aimed for 35,000 signatures to have a buffer since some signers will inevitably be rejected. Thomas and others plan to deliver the signatures to the city clerk today. Thomas said San Antonio would be the first city in Texas to vote on decriminalizing abortion since the U.S. Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade last year, ending federal abortion protections. Almost all abortions are prohibited in Texas.
And that's political news in a nutshell. Pro-abortion Democrats are now in full control of the Minnesota, Minnesota legislature, so it should come as no surprise that the top legislative priority there is expanding access in the already abortion-friendly state. A new bill labeled number one in both the House and Senate is on a fast track to passage. Convening this week in St. Paul, five committees in both the House and Senate passed the bill on party line votes. The bill will ensure that abortion happens unrestricted and up until birth. Brian Gibson is the executive director of Pro-Life Action Ministries, headquartered in St. Paul. We've asked him to join us to talk about the bill and about how abortion has increased in the state since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Welcome, Brian. Good to be on the show with you. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Well, Brian, the Supreme Court decision in June wasn't necessarily good news for Minnesota. I've even seen the state described as an island of abortion access. Can you tell us what's happening there? Well, that's exactly what it is. Our, our state political officials that are in power are inviting abortion facilities to open up in Minnesota. Uh, they're inviting women to come from all the surrounding states and, and even further to come in and have their abortions take place in Minnesota. And, and now, of course, our state legislature, as you guys mentioned, is passing this full-on abortion with, with no restrictions, no regulations at all. Crazy. Well, Minnesota already was very pro-abortion, but I think labeling this bill number one shows how much of a priority it is for lawmakers there. How will this new bill make things even worse for the unborn and their mothers? Well, as far as what's actually taking place with the killing of unborn babies, it, it isn't changing much because we already have had abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy in Minnesota by the fiat of our state Supreme Court. This is codifying it, which is going to make it far more difficult to try and uh, pass future legislation that would restrict abortion at all. The The bigger issue is is the regulation side. Uh, there, there are abortion facilities there's no licensing, there's no uh, there's no inspection, there's no anything. And we've now have it so that you don't even have to be a licensed physician to be committing abortions in Minnesota. So the harm to women is going to increase dramatically is what's going to happen. Wow. Well, Brian, can you tell our viewers a little bit about your ministry, its history, and how it's likely to be impacted by this expansion of abortion? Well, we've been around since 1981, as a, and we were the first to organize sidewalk counseling in, in a formal manner in the United States. Uh, we also engage in prayer vigils and prayer activities outside the abortion facilities. We have the largest presence of, of Christians praying every year at our Good Friday prayer vigil that we do. Uh, we also engage in the 40 Days for Life and so forth. So we're, we're very comprehensive in being on the streets and on the sidewalks outside the abortion facilities, offering hope and help, love of God uh, to the women and, and also having the opportunity for Christians to pray about this. So uh, that's that's our work. Now, um, we're, we're the last line of defense and this legislation just means we're all that more important to be out there and always be ready to help every woman that we can. So we will continue to do that. All right. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us and we'll keep praying that you continue to reach mothers before they make that fatal choice for abortion. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks, Brian. Can you just quickly tell us where um, can our viewers in Minnesota uh, go to find out uh, more about what you're doing? Yes, our website is plam.org, plam.org. And that's the best place to get a hold of us. Awesome. Thanks again, Brian. Thanks, we appreciate Brian. it. Right. God bless you. 
A few months ago, we reported on safe haven baby boxes that allow moms to safely surrender their newborns anonymously. The only baby box in Florida located in Ocala recently had its first occupant. Here's a story from news channel WKMG. Well, it's the only one in the state of Florida, and tonight we've learned the first newborn surrendered to a safe haven baby box happened in Ocala. News 6's Brian Didlake explains what happened and how that box can get results. It's the first uh, surrender of its kind. Ocala Fire Rescue Chief Clint Wellborn speaking after the first baby in the state of Florida left anonymously in a safe haven baby box. The box built at Ocala's Fire Rescue Headquarters back in 2020. All they have to do is, is walk up to the box, pull this little lever, open the door, place their infant inside. Monica Kelsey, the founder and CEO of Safe Haven Baby Boxes, demonstrating the steps the surrendered child's parent or parents had to take. You can hear the fan going on the inside. As showing the inside, Kelsey says there are resources printed out for the parent. The boxes air inside regulated to keep the child safe. First responders are then alerted within moments to assess and transport the infant to a nearby hospital. The child afterwards set to be adopted within 30 to 45 days. Uh, the process, the procedure worked. A Kelsey stresses the importance of anonymity after a parent reached out to her. She said, I didn't want them talking me out of a decision that took me so long to make. Kelsey says while these safe haven baby boxes are crucial to saving a life, it's also an opportunity for education, which is one of the many reasons why she wants to reach out to the biological parents of every surrendered infant. She even leaves this message for the parents of the baby left here. Thank you for doing what you felt was best. There's many options that you could have chosen, and I'm sure this was not an easy option to choose. A going forward, Kelsey hopes to get results saying she sees the need for more baby boxes in Florida after taking more than 110 calls through their hotline. She says she can't release locations she is considering expanding to, but says... But the process is working, and we want these parents who find themselves in this situation to know that this works. In Ocala, Brian Ditlake getting results. News 6. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope you will support this show and all of our broadcasts by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community to end abortion. Next week, Teresa and I will be at the March for Life, and we plan to bring you live coverage from D.C. If you're not at the march, please make sure to tune in. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. And I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.